Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. We felt a stirring of the Holy Spirit since we began this message, the four ladies that we are. We strongly feel that as we speak, the Lord is going to stir something in you to believe, listen to me, for the birth of long anticipated prophetic promises in your life, your children's lives, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren's lives. And so today we're continuing with our at long last, which I'm sure you heard that quite a bit on the video that was just on. Laura and I are going to be looking at two women in scripture who lived a thousand years apart, but who both experienced and at long last. And these two women are Anna, the prophetess from the New Testament, and Hannah, the mother of Samuel, from the Old Testament. They both have names that mean grace, and we are going to see how they leaned into the arms of grace as they endured great heartache, years of waiting, and we feel like we've been waiting a long time to come out of this pandemic, and persevering all before they were able to see the fulfillment of God's promises. Yes, the one who promised is faithful. The sermon, it's time. When are we used to hearing, oh, it's time, it's time. It's when a very pregnant wife <laughs> has two words for her husband. The baby's on the way. Let's get going. So I want you to hear this. There is a summoning, an it's time coming forth for mighty men and women, as was prophesied by Johnny's word this morning, to walk in the fullness of God's promises and purposes. It's time. We're coming forth. There is an anointing today that I want you to be listening, not just to me, but to God dropping into your spirit for that long-anticipated prophetic promise and believe for it and have faith for it. So the backdrop of all this with Anna is it's time for Jesus, who's 40 days old, to be brought to the temple for the purification ritual, to be presented before the Lord. What's interesting is not only Anna's here, but Simeon's here, an old priest who held Jesus in his arms and prophesied Jesus as the hope for the Gentiles. He's the one that prophesies, but as we will read in the scripture, it's Anna that's called the prophet. So we're going to look at the story of Anna. She arrives on the scene, Luke 2, 36 to or 38. I'm just going to read it quickly, and then I'm going to give a little bit of history and her story, and then give also an illustration. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. That's why I think I can do this part here, right here. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to who all were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I'm just going to share a little bit of tidbits about Anna. 
So we see Anna, who's being called a prophet, prophecies arising and stirring when it had ceased in Israel for about 300 years, and it's arising with a female prophetess. She's the daughter of Peniel, widowed for so long that they're stating in Scripture she's referenced by her father's name, not her husband's. And when somebody would be a widow, as young as she was a widow, they would need to be cared for for their family. But what's interesting is her father's name reminds us of Jacob. His very name is the place where Jacob wrestled with God and said, I saw God face to face. And here is Anna in the temple going to see Jesus, her God, face to face. That's just like mind-blowing to me. She was the tribe of Asher, Long ago, Moses prophesies about that tribe, Anna's tribe, that your strength will equal your days. Well, this is true of Anna. She was very old. Some scholars believe she was 105, up to as old as 105. And it was likely that whenever she appeared or spoke, she attracted attention and commanded respect for age among the Jews was held in great respect. She lived, like I said, with her husband in reading in scripture, seven years. So that means generally women married about 15. So she would have been a widow at a very young age, 22, 21, 22. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Her habits of worship and fasting had been a routine for decades in the temple, near the temple, on its premises. And then coming up at that very moment, she gave thanks to God about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Here she's literally prophesying hope for the Jews. And as the first female evangelist, telling everyone that she knew her Redeemer lived. So in this story, it's wonderful because we have a prophet, a priest, and a king. We have Anna the prophet, prophesying hope for the Jews. We have Simeon the priest, prophesying hope for the Gentiles, and King Jesus bringing in the new covenant, the king. Okay, for we old-timers, this is just such a wonderful model of aging. She's a woman without bitterness, even though she'd been widowed young. She's full of hope. She seeks to do good to those that she encounters. She's engaged in Israel's life. She's useful to the Lord. Although elderly, she serves well and transitions from the old to the new. And we are in a transition time. We are moving and coming forth into a new time, a new world. And I believe God is going to move mightily. So I want to just give a story of a woman that I felt like aged well, which is my mom. She started out with heartache when she was young in World War II, being taken away from her family, sent to Foster's home because of bombings in London. Married an American, moved to America, which sounds really wonderful, but she was hardly with her mother at all, and her family leaving family and country. She herself decided church was important and raised us in church. She had her own personal encounter with Jesus, 1972, and testified like an evangelist on fire, which I've said before to the point 
that it was difficult to go to her home because you felt when you were not in her place that nothing could be talked about but Jesus. She, re oh, oh wow, it was, it was intense when we would go. Yeah, it was intense. She raised a pastor, a missionary, and a pastor's wife, helped plant and lead a church, this church, cared daily for her ill husband for 10 years until he passed. Then she continued focusing in prayer and glorifying God with devotions and prayers until she met Jesus face to face. And this is what blew me away. On her deathbed, as my brother is saying, you know, Mommy, Jesus is taking you home. She said, I know I'm doing what he's telling me to do. And literally, she would be shaking her head like this and going. And I kept thinking, what is she doing? She'd go like this. Then she'd go like this. What an example of faithfulness as God is faithful to us. Before Anna looked into the face of her Redeemer, another woman of great faith prophesied her triumphant song of his coming. And Laura is going to share that story of Hannah in her own creative way. What I'm about to read is an inspired piece about Hannah from the first two chapters of 1 Samuel. And even though it's about a woman who desperately wants to have a child, I think anyone who's experienced a season of waiting can relate. I know I have found much comfort in reading her experience during my own season of waiting. So this is Hannah's story. Barren, heartbroken, bracing myself to face the torment that mocks my lack. Bitterness, crouching at the door of my heart as I endure this incessant provoking. Year after year, nothing changes. Am I a fool to still believe that even I could conceive? Would the God of Abraham and Sarah open my womb for me? Be careful, dear heart, to discern the voices that breathe life from those that carry death disguised as wisdom. Annual peace offerings are made, and I receive double. As if that could take away the grief of not having a child. He looks at me and asks sincerely, Love, why do you weep? Why won't you eat? Am I not enough? He does not understand this deep heartache of waiting. But I will not give up. I will not give in. I will only keep seeking my God who provides. Crushed in soul, I come to the one who can be trusted with my pain. I pour out the immensity of my grief, words inexpressible, and lean back into the comforting arms of grace. My face, smothered in tears of long-anticipated desires, yet everyone caught by the hand of my Father. This grief that threatens my every breath, I refuse to give in, and I use it to cry out to the one who cares? Oh Lord, hear my prayers of petition through my tears and distress, the deepest desires of my heart. If you will just look at my pain and remember me and give me a son, I vow he will be yours all the days of his life. This is my sacrifice. 
overheard and misunderstood by the priest. My grief and distress is mistaken for drunkenness. No, my Lord, the only thing I've poured out is my heart. My display of raw emotion comes from a place of deep anguish. And what he said next changed everything. Go in peace, and may God give you what you have asked of him. And that was it. An anointed proclamation that changed my entire countenance. I held fast, I pressed in, a new resolve birthed within me, even before I had conceived. I held on to the confession of my hope, unwavering despite others' doubts, unwilling to give up, because he who promised is faithful. And sure enough, in due time, the Lord remembered me. In my pain and affliction, he visited me. Look, my Lord, for this child I prayed. God granted me the petition that I made. Let me now proclaim my song that tells all along that he who promised is faithful. He intricately weaves our individual desires into his greater story of glory, a desire that ended up being something greater than myself. May my words expose his goodness, this immeasurably more than I could ever ask for. I am anchored in this truth. There is none more holy and comparable to you. You bring low and you exalt. Despite tragedy, you work out your purposes throughout history. Oh, if you have ears to hear, know this truth. What he did for me, he can do for you because he who promised is faithful. Amen? Amen. Our Heavenly Father delights in giving us, his children, good gifts and promises. From the Garden of Eden throughout human history, God intricately weaves each of our own stories into his big story, with every detail testifying to Jesus. Now, God's promises can come to us in various ways, through receiving a prophetic word, maybe a portion of scripture that captivates our hearts, it can come through a dream or a vision, or even that still small voice of his spirit that speaks to our inner man. No matter how God chooses to do so, when he speaks, he creates. His powerful word carries all that it needs to accomplish his purposes in due time. Of course, scripture tells us to test the prophetic words that we receive to make sure that we are truly hearing from God. But once you know that a word is from God, you can be confident it will surely happen. Now, how can we know this for sure? Here's why. Hebrews 10, 23 says, For he who promised is faithful. Now, the full verse says, Let us hold on, which is an emphatic expression that instructs us to actively participate, to hold on with determination, and to not let go. 
to the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, this refers to our unwavering belief in Jesus, in his work so far, and his future work. For he who promised is faithful. This is why we can hold on. This is why we can be unwavering in our hope, because he who promised is faithful. Now, you're going to hear that sentence a lot this morning, but sometimes our spirits, I know I need it all the time, that repetition to remind us of what's true. It is not in God's nature to be unfaithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We sang about that this morning. I love that. And what he said he will do, he will do. It might not be in the ways that we expect it, but he is as good as his word. We see many individual stories of the heroes of the faith that hold this same testimony. In Romans 4, Paul says of Abraham, he did not waver through disbelief in the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God was able to do what he had promised. And then in Hebrews 11, it says of Abraham's wife, Sarah, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised is faithful. And in Luke 1, Elizabeth says to Mary, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to you. When we are anchored in this truth that God is faithful to do what he said he would do, then by God's grace, we can persevere against all odds, pray powerfully and effectively, praise God throughout the process, and prophesy with our testimony of answered prayer. These are all evident in the lives of Anna and Hannah, and they are all evident in by us by faith in Christ, the way we walk. So we're going to take a look at each of these. So our first point today is, because he who promised is faithful, we can persevere against all odds. Now Oswald Chambers said, perseverance is more than endurance. It is endurance combined with the absolute assurance and certainty that what we are looking for is going to happen. Do not be dissuaded from the promises that God has spoken to you, no matter how barren it looks to our natural eyes, because we walk by faith and not by sight. Once God has spoken, hold fast and press in with that absolute assurance. Now, almost seven years ago, I received a prophetic word from Pastor Grubby about my future spouse. Now, little did Grubby know that I had been struggling and wondering if that was something that God had planned for me and if that was a dream and desire that I just needed to let go of. But once I heard those words, that was it. Everything changed for me. Now, I haven't walked into that promise yet, and waiting is not for the faint of heart, but I have my Father's word. I have full confidence in the character of God, not in the who, not in the where, not in the when, but the faithfulness of our God, because he is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do, and this is why we can persevere. We can persevere through heartache. 
We heard about Anna and Hannah already. They both experienced great heartache in their lives, and yet it didn't stop them from pressing into God's presence for only what he could provide. We can trust God with our pain. I find it so comforting that Hannah grieved with such deep anguish. She had no words to express what she was feeling. I mean, how many of us have been there, right? But God hears what words alone can't express. His compassions never fail. And because Jesus suffered with us, he is able to meet us and sit with us in our pain, identifying with us and walking us through it, sustaining us with his powerful word and strengthening us through the power of the Holy Spirit. When your grief is too heavy, cry out to him and know that ultimately, it's not our hold on him, but it's his hold on us that empowers us to persevere. We can also persevere through impossibility. We serve a God whose business is the impossible. It might be a little bit of a surprise, but it's believed that Hannah was about 70 years old when she gave birth to Samuel. Her days of childbearing were medically over, and yet she still asked God for a child. Is it possible that maybe she found hope in the story of Abraham and Sarah and believed that God could provide for her in the same way? Whatever it was, she did not give up. We can also persevere in God's unique plan for our lives. Now, it is next to impossible to persevere if we are constantly comparing our experience or our timelines to those that are around us. As we heard earlier, Anna was a young widow with no children, and in her situation back then, most would have remarried. Now, as we read about her, it looks as though Anna chose a different path one that God had for her life, rather than the one that society expected her to live. In seasons where we are waiting for God's promises, it is so important to discern the voices that surround us, especially voices that would discourage us from holding fast to what he's spoken, or encourage us to taking shortcuts to getting there faster. One of the biggest battles we face is the distraction of what God is doing in someone else's life instead of keeping our focus on what he's doing in ours. Refuse to define yourself according to anything but what God has said about you. Stay focused on what he's called you to do. Know your assignment and stay in your lane. Now, in order to persevere, we must be a people of prayer, which leads us to our next point. Because he who promised is faithful, we can pray effectively and powerfully. Answers to prayer are really important. They build our faith, but delayed answers to prayer builds in us a refined faith. We must persevere in prayer for God's promises. Now, most of us won't have a calling like Anna's, never leaving the temple courts, devoting herself night and day in prayer and fasting. But here's the thing. Anna lived for a purpose that was greater than herself. She was dedicated to God's purpose and plan, and at the end of the day, that is something that we are all called to do. 
She knew what it meant to partner with the heart of God. She leaned in to hear what he was speaking and then prayed from that perspective. Church, we trust in the one who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. It's found in Romans 4, 17. And we get to partner with God's heart to declare that he is able to breathe life into barren situations. Nothing is impossible for him. And with the power of his words in our mouths, we call into being that which does not exist. Through Christ, every promise is yes, to which we respond, amen. Let it be to us according to your word. Numbers 23:19 says that God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? We can know he is trustworthy. Hannah unreservedly pours out her heart to God, but as soon as Eli says the words, may the Lord grant you your request, that was it for her. She had her answer, and a new resolve was birthed within her, even before she conceived and gave birth to a son, before she had ever seen the promise fulfilled. I'd like to think that she got up and had a nice bowl of matzo ball soup because she said she ate, and she trusted God to follow through in his timing. The Bible said her whole countenance changed from that moment. She was convinced that God would do what he promised because the one who promised is faithful. As Laura pointed out, it's perseverance and prayer. They're instrumental to receive God's promises, but we also have to recognize praise. And this is vital because we get weary, we become vulnerable, we get discouraged in the waiting. So our next point is because he who promised is faithful, we can praise him throughout the process. Hebrews 13, 15, therefore by him, Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So the first thing Anna did, scripture says she, she walked up and gave thanks, walked up and gave thanks. She recognized her Savior and gave thanks. Listen, a couple of important points regarding praise is they're powerful tools not to get what we want, but they are powerful because their primary purpose is to worship the Lord, to minister to the Lord in worship. And praise also lifts our eyes and acknowledges who God is, what he's done, what he's able to do, and it does not agree, refuses to agree with the enemy by giving into a spirit of complaining and having an offense at God. So this is why it's vital to praise. During, before, after the process, it's a weapon of warfare. We know that even with Miriam, when there was the battle that was going on, they went forth singing, praising and singing. That's how the battle started in the Old Testament with Miriam and Moses and the Egyptians. It's easy to praise when we get the answers, but what about when things are at a standstill or going in the opposite direction? Not as easy. But Psalm 34, 1 says, I'll praise the Lord at all times, 
his praise will continually be on my lips. So in those moments when you don't feel like it, it's a really true sacrifice. When suffering or disappointment comes, it's a sacrifice. Don't let that go to waste because it's such an opportunity that becomes not only a sweet aroma to God, but it's amazing what happens to your heart. It changes your heart, your thoughts, your perspective. What begins to happen is you hear God's heart. You hear God's encouragement. You hear his voice whispering in your ear, and then you start to soar. And it's just true, because as we enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter them with praise, it encounters him, and he blesses, and he comes. So I'm going to reference back, which Grebby's done a couple times. I didn't know he was going to do that this morning about battling the enemy in the Friday night chat as my example of warring off the enemy. And so we have been going around singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. You begin to walk around your, it's very simple, not hard, just walking around your house and saying that. God begins to stir and move. And I do feel the enemy is afoot because not only was he battling and God was speaking this to him, he didn't know I was, well, I was in Tennessee. I was awakened twice one night with an evil presence. I didn't see anything. It was one of those things that you just wake up and you can feel like your skin crawling. And I'm going, what, what is this? And I just felt like the Lord said, be alert. And so I started pleading the blood of Jesus, and I'm being alert because we do need to recognize the enemy. It's not hard. If you have confusion, God's not about confusion. If you're getting despair, God's not about despair. So we need to recognize those things. So be on alert so that you can praise, testify, and war off the enemy. Okay, so Hannah and Anna not only gave praise and thank God, they testified. Something powerful takes place when you testify. And this is our next point, because he who promised his faithful, our testimony prophesies what God can do to others. It prophesies to others. God this did this for me. I'm sure he's done it for you. He can do immeasurably more than you ask or think. I always have to give an illustration of my daughter Kristen when she was diagnosed with a brain tumor. All you can do when you hit a wall like that is press in to God. It's all you can do. And all the diagnosis they were giving us, she won't be able to swallow. She's going to have a droopy face. She definitely will not hear. Pressed in, pressed in, pressed in. God sent us to a hospital where the computers on the page on the front was nothing's impossible with God. That's the hospital she's in. Faith was stirred. Faith was stirred. Faith was stirred. We kept declaring, kept praying, and she came out as that surgeon's ideal patient. She could even hear when they said, there's no way you are going to hear. So God did it for me. He can do immeasurably more than we ask or think. So the fulfillment of God's promises in our lives testifies to others. I've been giving that testimony because God's faithful. And it's like, come see, Jesus can do miracles for you. Come see what he's doing. 
And that has been a prophetic word and a promise that was spoken at the beginning of this pandemic over this church. And we had put that, I think, on our website. So our words are invitation to others. We testify to what God has done personally and declare what God has done. He can do it again. He can do it again. And it releases faith for others to believe. He, it releases faith for others. And now is a time that people need to hear that. As we come out, people have been alone and in despair and having heartache and tension. And now as we come forth in this, I do believe harps are, hearts are going to be more ripe to hear the word of the Lord. So as I close, I'd like to invite the musicians back upstage, and we can be confident that our God is able to do more than we think or imagine. Let's persevere, pray, praise, prophesy with his strength that flows generously to others as we lean into the arms of God. Amen. Look, if you've been online or you're here and you, you, you've never experienced the king of the promise, Jesus Christ, this morning is for you. And this morning can be a morning where, where you settle the issue that Jesus is your God and your Lord and your Savior and your King. When, when they brought that kid, Jesus, into the temple, Simeon looked and he realized he came face to face with the king. You can do that. This can be your day, your temple day. So if you're online or here and you've never done that, just pray a few words with me. Uh, you can repeat after me, and, and I'd like us all to do that as a renewal of our own uh, life in Christ. So, Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Would you forgive me, Lord? I want to turn to you from anything that I know is wrong. And I thank you. You died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and I can be set free and I can come face to face with my King. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.